This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. Before we start the show, I have a gift for you, my top five productivity tips for solopreneurs. To get them, go to top5productivitytips.com. That's the number five, top5productivitytips.com. And it's possible that I over-delivered, and you'll have to find out for yourself. Just go to top5productivitytips.com. David Robinson is a senior executive, retired U.S. Marine Corps colonel, and author of The Substance of Leadership, a practical framework for effectively leading a high-performing team. With over three decades of experience leading complex organizations, Robinson is a senior advisor to Fortune 1000 companies in mission-critical industries such as biotechnology, healthcare, transportation and logistics, energy, and more. A former fighter pilot and Top Gun instructor, David is an expert and international speaker on the subjects of organizational leadership and performance improvement. David, welcome to the show. Ski, what an honor to be with you. Thank you so much. Now, I, I got to, I got to, I, I saw Top Gun, okay? I remember mm. watching Top Gun as a kid and Maverick and so... I know this has nothing to do with the topic of the show, but I got to geek out over this a little bit. So how accurate was the movie compared to what you really did? Ski, it's a great question and one that I always clarify whenever I'm speaking to groups. And I mentioned that I spent some time at Top Gun because in typical Hollywood fashion, the movie is uh, not very much like the real place. We didn't ride motorcycles down the runway. We didn't play beach volleyball with no shirts. Uh, actually, it was one of the most... Um, high-performing, committed, dedicated group of people that I've ever worked with, with a mission to uh, really train the best of the best so that they could go out and train their units. And so it was extremely rewarding in that regard. But uh, uh, don't get all your ideas from the movie. There is a sequel coming out, as, as you, your audience may know, the spring, uh, which I understand from my colleagues in my network is a little more accurate, but the jury's out. We'll see. <laughs> I, I just I just remember that movie and seeing it over and over again. And I'll, I'll show you how old I am, David. I watched it on VHS tape. OK, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not the streaming service they have now, uh, but uh, I, I still remember the flybys. And what's that one line? I love your body is writing check. Your mouth is writing checks. Your body can't cash. Um, you got it. Incredible, incredible movie. Thank you so much for your service to our country, by the way. I really appreciate that. Thanks, Kia. I appreciate it as well. Because uh, freedom is not free, contrary to what many people think. And uh, it's because of ge the generosity of your life and your time uh, that we have the freedom we do have in the United States. So let's jump into the topic of the show today, leadership. Now, I believe, and I want to know if you agree with me on this, that I believe everyone's a salesperson and I believe everyone is a leader. Is that true? Well, I guess to some regard, I think that, um, you know, you don't have to have a position or a title to be a leader. I think that we can be a leader by making other people around us better. So if you inspire to be on a team that's better tomorrow than you are today, I would say that, you know, you're a leader. And then if you say everyone's a salesperson, um, I'm not going to disagree with that. I would say that one of the most important aspects of leadership ski is uh, the art of influence and persuasion. And so in that regard, we are always trying to not only learn from others' perspectives uh, so that we can uh, be more influential, but also maybe help persuade them with some of our ideas that are worth considering. I think the best salespeople in the world are children. They don't give up. 
a lot of elderly people. When I say elderly, I mean when you get in your 20s, 30s, 40s. I'm not talking like 95. We we don't like the word no. And so we give up. Or kids, they're just like, can I have some candy? No. Can I have some candy? Over and over again, so they wear the parent down. So I think many of us should learn the lesson. Uh, take away the temper tantrums, of course, from, from uh, kids and learn how persistence is the key to success. Yeah, for sure. Persistence and perseverance definitely, I think, are extremely important aspects of being an effective leader. So uh, no doubt. Now, you are a specialist in helping business leaders attract, develop and retain talent. So I want to take this from a perspective that we're still dealing with the effects of COVID-19 pandemic. How are people dealing with that, those three items I just mentioned, as opposed to before the pandemic, or is it still the same? Well, I think a number of things have changed, Ski. A lot of the executives, CEOs, and, uh, and HR experts that I work with, you know, uh, the, the great resignation is, is underway and, and, you know, it's continuing to evolve. What does the new work environment look like? Is it going to be hybrid, remote, uh, you know, in the office? There are various answers to that question, and some of them are, are industry pers- uh, specific. One of the things that um, has really resonated with me, though, is how do you attract, develop, and retain top talent? Uh, in my book, I talk about what I call the leadership triad, and I, I know that you're a productivity expert, and so I know you're keenly interested in focus areas because in many ways, focus areas help us to follow our purpose in order to prioritize what we need to do. And so what I share with executives are, are three things, uh, the three aspects or uh, dimensions of my leadership triad. The first is culture. And if you can create a culture that people want to be a part of, then I think that that's step one in attracting top talent. The second focus area is people. How well do you respect, know, and take care of your people? Because to the extent that you can develop your people, that's really one of the keys to, uh, you know, developing your people, uh, you know, to, to use the, the same term there. And then finally, uh, the, the third focus area, Ski, is mission. And it's mission focus. And uh, the question is, uh, can you create a vision that makes people feel like they're part of something larger than themselves? And I found that that's the key to uh, retaining that top talent as well. So, uh, you know, put those together, uh, a culture that people want to be a part of, an atmosphere, an environment where people can develop and grow, and uh, a purpose-driven mission that, that creates a vision that people can be a part of that's larger than something uh, you know, that's in and of themselves. You know, uh, salary is not the only reason why people stay in a job or move to another job. There are these other driving factors. Uh, salary and, and compensation is an important part of that. But a lot of these leadership intangibles uh, research shows weighs very heavily on employee decisions. I want to circle back to culture because I think culture is a big deal. And I've been out of the workforce since July 2005 when I was fired from my lo- from a corporate job. And the problem there is that my last job was a very toxic environment, very toxic. In other words, there were the people, the worker, worker bees. Then there was middle management. And then you went up this food chain. And I work with a gentleman or I worked for a gentleman who was, he was very power hungry. Okay. He was, it's almost like they put him in that position to get him, get him out of the way from the, the worker breeze. And when you earn it, when you are in a toxic culture of a workplace, 
you go in as a new employee, you're ready to, you know, I'm going to set the world on fire. I'm going to just show everybody how great a job I am. And then you start realizing it's the toxic culture. And that really affects your ability to work effectively, does it not? Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, culture I listed first in my leadership triad because I think it's the most important uh, initially to really set the foundation for how your team's going to perform. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons why I wrote the book and one of the reasons why I do what I do is because I have a real heart for people uh, that have to work in a toxic environment with a toxic leader who cares more about their own agenda at many times and their own power and control than they do about empowering the team that uh, really they, sh- they should be serving. And so, uh, you know, I talk about the importance of trust, Ski, in a culture and talk about how to develop that trust. But in reality, I, I think trust is a two-way street. Um, first of all, you know, as a leader, we want our team to be inspired and that's we want them to be emotionally connected and invested in mission success. But it's also important for them to feel empowered. And that means they have a sense of ownership for that mission success. And too many leaders, many of them toxic, want their team to trust them as the leader, but they don't want to give up and empower the team any control. So uh, therefore, empower the team with that two-way level of trust. And so I find many leaders are on that one-way street of trust, and it really is a a uh, two-way situation. When you go talk to one of these Fortune 1000 companies that you go into, and you recognize a leader has this problem. It's not a two-way to one-way trust or, you know, you do as I say because I'm the boss. What are some of the things you help that leader deal with? Well, uh, do as I say doesn't work anymore is the first thing I say, right? I mean, uh, it, maybe it used to, at least, uh, you know, several decades ago, it doesn't work anymore. And I think most executives, uh, you know, certainly realize that. But the key is, is that it's hard to let go of the wheel. Um, you know, I, I like to use an aviation analogy because as a former military pilot and top gun instructor, I've trained a few thousand aviators. And, you know, we, we never uh, let anyone go solo on the first flight. Uh, you know, it's always kind of a, hey, watch, watch, let me demonstrate how to do it. And then I'll be in the back with a stick there to help out if, if I need to weigh in, so to speak. And then finally, let go of the stick, let go of the wheel. And that's the hardest transition for many executives because I just don't think they understand Number one, uh, how to delegate. And number two, how powerful delegation can actually be. And so I encourage them to think about, you know, once they, uh, you know, want to control everything, um, you know, that really is a limiting factor for how much their organization can grow and, and, and continue to excel. And I try to encourage them to think about what could happen if you were able to effectively delegate to your next level leaders, empower them with your vision, and then support them in carrying out that vision, uh, you know, with your hands ready to help grab the wheel, uh, you know, as conditions, uh, you know, develop, but otherwise to really empower them and trust them to get the job done. What I really come down to is, can you define the what and then let go of the how and let your team figure out the how I found has been a really effective formula for helping them make that transition. What do you think it is that is causing the leaders to have these problems? Is, is it a lack of confidence? Is it an insecurity issue? Or maybe they just don't know how? Actually, I think it has more to do, in my experience, Ski, with just the fact that sometimes we feel like we're the only people who can get the job done right. And so sometimes it's much easier and it takes less time just to do it ourselves and to have all of that information you know, flow up to us for decision making. It gives us more a sense of value and validation to the organization. And quite frankly, it takes a lot of time and effort to train someone else to do the same job. But 
If you don't, uh, you are going to hit a, uh, a limit. You'll be the throughput constraint for productivity and pro- progress in your organization. Uh, but if you do, it really open up, opens up the floodgates, so to speak, to helping that organization grow and develop. There's a story in the Bible where Moses was the judge. Uh, he, everybody bring all their cases to him, and his father-in-law came to him and says, hey, why don't you train some other people to do the small things and you do the big cases? That's sort of what you're saying. That's a leadership in and itself. So the big things go to the to the big leader, but he should empower other people to make decisions. Uh, Amazon does this really good. If you've got a problem with an order, they don't, you don't call Amazon and then they don't call the CEO of the company. They are empowered to make decisions to keep the ball rolling, to keep the customer happy. And I think more and more companies are going that way instead of just letting one person make all decisions. And I think everyone wins in the end. Totally agree. And I love that story that you just mentioned. Um, you know, there's a huge return on investment. It does take time and, uh, and, and investment to help train and develop your people. But that's one of the reasons why top talent stays in organizations, because they see themselves growing, developing, improving professionally. And also they have a sense of ownership and autonomy around what they're doing. So it's you know, not only does it help the organization from a mission perspective, but it also helps from a recruitment and retention perspective. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, I, I think that um, this idea of delegating is a huge return on investment and, uh, you know, is really a force multiplier for, for any leadership situation. So let's go to the second leg of the triad, people. Jim Collins wrote in Built to Last, you have to have the right people in the right seat on the right bus. Uh, do you agree with that? Totally agree with that. Yeah, I, when I talk about uh, people focus, that is, um, you know, a lot of the questions I commonly get, Ski, are, well, how do you focus on your people? I have limited bandwidth. I have, you know, thousands of, of meetings in a year. You know, how do, how do I prioritize and how do you really focus on your people? I like to break it down in, in three subdimensions. The first is it starts with respect. We talked earlier about trust as a two-way street. I found that, you know, you need to give respect before you can accept uh, expect respect. And, uh, you know, that's a great way to begin to establish that culture of trust. The second is uh, really knowing your people. It's harder in today's information saturated environment to really know your people, both on a personal and professional level, so that we can help them develop and grow, identify those gaps and help them to uh, be better, more effective leaders so that we can delegate to them more and empower them more. And then the third area is around the idea of really taking care of our people. And that's finding out what makes their job or their life hard and then doing something about it, which I think really takes trust uh, to the next level. But if we can take care of our people, I found that they will always go the extra mile to take care of us as leaders in order to accomplish the mission. The Productive Life, a membership for solopreneurs, will help you gain confidence and clarity, show you how to deal with overwhelm and teach you how to get and stay focused. To find out more and to sign up, visit theproductivelifemembership.com. In your experience, is micromanaging still an issue in the workplace today? When I was, you know, back in 2005, early 2000, it was a really big issue. Maybe I picked all the employers that, you know, micromanaged, but it, it, it didn't. It wasn't, it wasn't conducive to me doing a good job because I felt someone breathing down my neck. This is not like I just started. This is like I've already well entrenched. I know what I'm doing, but they kept micromanaging everything I was doing. Is that still a thing today in 2022? 
Not only is it still a thing, it's uh, it's probably even more of a thing. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you an example. Well, first of all, um, it's one of the top three reasons why people leave wow. their boss to go to another. You know, it's 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 one of the main drivers of the Great Resignation. And the reason why it's probably more of an issue than it was, uh, you know, several years ago is because. Now, information technology allows us to literally reach down, as we call it, with a thousand mile screwdriver from headquarters to start asking five or six layers down in the organization, what are you doing and why are you doing it that way? When in reality, previously, it would be like you'd have to go through the chain of command, so to speak, in order to talk to those individuals. So it's a huge problem, which is why I think it's so critical for leaders to really get sharp on how to cast vision. Uh, an inspiring, empowering vision that sticks to the what and the why, that is the purpose, but stays away from the how and lets the people in the organization be creative and innovative in figuring out the best how, which in my experience is more often than not better than anything that I could have come up with and micromanaged down the chain. Yeah, because I remember when I was working for this company back in 2005, is there was a problem, the senior manager would email or call my supervisor, who would then call me into his office. There was none of this. They couldn't track everything the way they can do now. But it's kind of sad that it's getting worse uh, instead of better. And I was hoping you'd say, oh, no, it's getting much better. But it sounds like <laughs> that's not the case. Yeah. So I want you to talk about... um Give us an example, obviously change the names to protect the uh, the innocent or not so innocent of a situation you went into where the leader really didn't get uh, what you were trying to say. And were you successful to getting him or her to see the light? You're talking about with regard to just uh, to delegating? Uh, anything that you teach when you go into a Fortune 1000 company? Something comes yeah, well. Yeah, I think, well, uh, you know, a, a certain executive CEO comes to mind that, um, you know, as we were talking about just a minute ago, was really struggling with taking their hand off the wheel and every little decision, you know, they wanted to have their hands on. And, um, you know, it became readily apparent through some feedback surveys, uh, conversations that I was able to have with some of the employees in the organization that uh, although this individual was very inspirational, uh, they weren't very empowering. In fact, they, they were disempowering and that was creating a lot of consternation, you know, within the group and, and uh, their ability to, to get work done. And so it was almost this kind of paradox between extremely inspiring. Everyone loved the individual, but they just wanted more leash, more rope, more opportunity to, uh, to get things done. And over time, uh, you know, it takes human behavior or ski takes, as you well know, it takes time to, to change habits and, and how we're wired sometimes uh, comes into that. But, I think this individual uh, over time started to realize that, uh, you know, and, and this has happened more than once, by the way. So this is kind of a generic example. I've seen it dozens of times. They start to burn out. They start to realize they can't get everything done in the day. Their health starts to suffer. Uh, their family relationships start to suffer because they are trying to do everything and just can't let go. And yet sometimes they don't know how to let go. And so uh, one of the things that I do is help them understand how to delegate. And it really starts with what's the purpose of uh, what we're asking someone to do so they can really buy into that why behind it. And then what needs to be accomplished, probably need to have a when discussion in there uh, around when it needs to be accomplished by, and then uh, leave it up to them to uh, figure out the how, and then come back and check in uh, frequently uh, until their experience and judgment begins to develop and just uh, provide updates on how things are going. And as a leader, the most important question is, how can I help you uh, accomplish this task? It's not, 
you know, are you doing this? Are you getting it done? Why not? It's what do you need from me to accomplish the task that I've just delegated to you? And so that process has been a journey for this individual and many others uh, uh, like them, uh, which has been very rewarding for me to see not only them feel freed up to be able to cast that vision and look over the horizon where the leader ought to be looking, uh, but also to help the organization uh, and the people therein to be more empowered to get it done. You mentioned feedback surveys. So going back to 2005, when I was fired, they did this thing called 360 uh, feedback surveys. And if you're not familiar with that listener, what this is, is it means the people above you and beneath you and around you, you get to evaluate everyone. What are your thoughts? Uh, you think that's a good thing? The 360 surveys, do they even do them anymore? They do them a lot. And uh, sometimes they're done electronically. I prefer in-person ski because I find that 360 surveys are only va- uh, valuable if people feel like uh, that they can trust the person who is collecting that feedback to keep it confidential. Okay. And, you know, I, I wish that we would, uh, you know, Maybe some people would be more courageous about sharing their honest opinions. But the fact is, is that we're all a little bit guarded about speaking about our boss or our colleagues. And we want to make sure that sometimes that confidentiality is protected. And so if you can assure people that their comments are completely confidential, which is sometimes hard in today's IT environment where things are traceable, I find that a face-to-face conversation for 15 or 20 minutes about someone where I can establish trust guarantee that their comments will not be uh, in any way uh, be able to be traced back to them, that I'm simply looking for patterns and trends and themes about an individual to help them grow and develop as a leader, I found to be extremely effective. And surprisingly, I can I can develop a fairly uh, accurate pattern uh, with six to eight conversations. Normally, it's the person's boss, two or three colleagues, and two or three direct reports begins to paint a, a pretty clear picture of what their growth areas are and their strengths. The supervisor I had at my last job, uh, again, just for the reference of case listeners only paying half attention, he would get the, so we do the 360 survey. It would go to the director of the whole entire department, and then they would disseminate it down to the assistant director, down to the manager, down to the supervisor. And of course, most of the people didn't like this guy and he was trying to figure out who wrote what. Now, this is not what you should do in your leader. You should not call <laughs> everyone in your company, in your department in and say, okay, uh, did you write this? Because that's not the point. Because then to your point, that re- erodes people's confidence. So like, what? I, I can't, I can't, this is not confidential. Am I going to get reprimanded for this? So if you're a leader and you're doing this, don't do that because what you're doing, you're not, you're trying to figure out who said what, but what you're actually doing is you're eroding the foundation. Yeah, I can tell you a quick story that takes it even to a a further level. And that's pretty disappointing ski is that, you know, I had a, in the military, I had a senior leader who we did a 360 survey, it was safety related. And um, this individual was a toxic leader. And not only did he try to figure out who said what, and was fairly effective at that, you know, junior officers in a very structured military environment, you can imagine that uh, retribution is certainly on everyone's mind. And how's this going to play out? Not only that, but the feedback was so bad, it was one of the worst assessments that the uh, organization who did it had ever seen. And so we had huge safety concerns. He got all of us, the entire organization, into a room and said, "Okay, I want you all to tell me why you're so messed up and what you're going to do to fix yourself, Uh, because he basically pointed the finger at everyone else. So that is a prime example of uh, how not to use 360 feedback. 
Wow. Yeah, that's, <laughs> oh my goodness. I would have hated to be in that room and like, is this guy serious right now? Um, so is there anything else that you would like to talk about in the show today that you think would be a benefit to my listener that you didn't, we didn't get a chance to talk about yet? Well, I maybe just touch real quickly on that third leg of the triad, and that's mission. And the reason I say that is because I know that productivity is something that uh, is near and dear to your heart. It's near and dear to my heart and, and many of your lis- listeners as well who tune in because of that. You know, when it comes to mission focus, I think that's what productivity is all about, Ski. And I, I like to talk to people about three sequential ways to approach mission focus. The first is prioritization. Uh, you know, if when everything's a priority, nothing is a priority, but it takes a lot of discipline to really filter down today's environment into what really matters. And I think that our, our uh, prior- priorities need to flow from our purpose. So as a leader, maybe one of the first questions we should ask ourselves is, what is the purpose of my team? If we can define that, then our priorities, uh, you know, are more easily definable. That's kind of the foundation for uh, mission mission focus. But uh, then I think it's formed through preparation. And the question is, what are you doing today to prepare your team for tomorrow's opportunities? And then finally, I think the, uh, the last dimension of mission focus is around passion and specifically passion for excellence, because it's one thing to have priorities. It's another thing to act on those by preparing. But in order to execute, we have to have a passion for excellence that drives us for continuous improvement. And uh, that's that's the message that I uh, really love to share with leaders to help inspire and empower their teams. You know, when you mentioned priority, what popped in my head when I was going through college, I worked at a steel factory and they used to have the saying, the lack of planning on your part does not necessitate an emergency on mine. And so I was working in a department that was in the warehouse and I'd have to send stuff to the shipping department. And inevitably every Friday afternoon, we get all these air quotes here, emergencies. I need this part. I need this part. I'm like, no, there's not that many emergencies. Okay. Because we are open all week. What the company finally had to do is they had to say, okay, if you think you need all these parts in the emergency, we'll ship them out, but we're going to send a service technician to your factory. And they're like, why? Well, because we want to make sure the parts installed because it's an emergency, right? Because they're asking, they're ordering a gasket, but they're ordering like a hundred gaskets. And they say, if that's not the case, we're going to charge you this exorbitant fee. The, the emergencies dropped like a rock because what was happening is people, they were not prioritizing. They were just doing the thing. Oh my gosh, it's Friday afternoon. Let's order all this stuff. And once my company decided, hey, we're going to start penalizing you, then people go, oh, I guess we should order this stuff on a Monday or a Tuesday. And it solved the problem because everything was a priority. But that wasn't the only company we're dealing with. We had all these other companies as well. But you're screaming and they're screaming and this person's over here screaming. And we're like, okay, what's the true priority? For sure. A little bit of preparation there could go a long way from uh, moving you from being reactive to proactive. And that certainly is, uh, you know, really important. Yeah. So now before I ask you where we can go find out more about you and where we can, you know, your, your book and stuff like that, I want to circle back to you being a former pilot. I'm assuming you have taken off and landed on an aircraft carrier. I have a couple hundred times, and uh, the first time was one that I'll never forget. Uh, I think I was probably on autopilot, uh, no pun intended, just because of the training kicked in. And it's one of those experiences you can't really mentally prepare for until you actually do it and see it. But um, one of the most dangerous environments in the world, and, uh, you know, my uh, my hat goes off to and my heart goes out to, you know, the thousands of men and women. Some of them ski barely 20 years old that are on that flight deck orchestrating one of the most amazing, you know, uh, examples of teamwork that I've ever, you know, been associated with or I'm aware of. 
when you see an aircraft carrier up close, it's huge. But when you're coming in for a landing, it's I've seen the footage. I mean, not not in Top Gun. I mean, actually, uh, they put some videos on YouTube. It's this little speck. You see a little speck and it gets a little bigger, a little bigger. I'm like, you're going to land on that thing that's bobbing in the ocean and moving. And I mean, it's I, I can't even imagine the training that pilots have to go through to, I mean, landing, which is. Which is more difficult, do you think, landing on a carrier or taking off? Oh, definitely landing. Taking off, basically, you hook up to a catapult and, um, you know, you take your hands off the stick because they don't want you to, you know, touch anything and, and could, you know, disrupt your, your departure. But, uh, you know, you go from zero to about 175 miles an hour in less than two seconds. Wow. Uh, landing is far more difficult, takes far more skill ski, especially at night. Um, you know, I talk uh, when I talk to groups uh, about landing on an aircraft carrier, I describe it as imagine if you are trying to land on your driveway going 160 miles an hour. Only your driveway is moving forward at 30 miles an hour. It's pitching up and down and rolling left and right. And so it really is a tiny postage stamp out there as you're coming down the chute, so to speak, prior to landing. And when that hook grabs you, it's got to mean it's got to be the first time you experience it. Can you remember the first time that feeling you had when it got hooked and you just like you come to a stop? You're like going really fast. And then all of a sudden you're not moving anymore. Yeah, zero, to, uh, 160 miles an hour to zero in less than two seconds. You, you, you lunge forward in your straps. I, I tell a story in the opening of my book about uh, I was in extremis in the Pacific Ocean, and I had four attempts to get aboard, and I was low, low on fuel. The ship was pitching up and down 40 feet. Uh, bad weather, uh, you know, it was probably one of the scariest uh, times of my career. But on that fourth attempt, I did get aboard, thankfully, and it was the best feeling in the world when I lunged forward in my straps and came to a stop after uh, all of those attempts. Wow. Uh, fascinating. Thank you for letting us into the Top Gun world for a few minutes. I really appreciate it. So where can we go to find out more about you, what you're doing? Where can we get your book? Tell us about that. Well, thanks for asking. Yeah, my website is verticalperformance.us, and uh, I have a what I call a pressure performance test there on the homepage. If you want to, if your listeners might want to find out, uh, you know, uh, how they're performing as a leader, it takes about five minutes. It'll give you some feedback. And then, as you mentioned earlier, my book is called The Substance of Leadership, uh, a practical framework for effectively leading a high performing team, and it's available on Amazon. Wow. Well, I want to thank you so much, David, for being on the show today, for sharing your wealth of information, for allowing us to understand what it's like to be a Top Gun pilot. I mean, you don't look like Tom Cruise, but Tom Cruise <laughs> probably can't really fly a plane anyways like you did. So thank you so much for being here, sir. Ski, thank you so much. It was a real privilege talking to you. Really enjoyed it. Thanks. And before we go, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. I know that there is an endless stream of options for you in this day and age, but you took the time to listen to the episode, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Don't forget to head on over to top5productivitytips.com and get my gift to you, my top five productivity tips. Remember, it's the number five in top5productivitytips.com. They will serve you well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll see you again real soon.